The following is a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society. What is the reconciliation that God provides? Is there more than one kind? How does Christ's work make provision for these? And are you an ambassador? Hello and welcome to Grace in Focus. This is the radio broadcast and podcast ministry of the Grace Evangelical Society. We're located in North Texas. We're glad that you are with us today. Please find out more about us at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. And we also produce three new videos each week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find them on the YouTube channel of the Grace Evangelical Society. Now with today's discussion, here are Bob Wilkin and Steve Elkins. Steve, we've got a few more key words of soteriology One of them is the word reconciliation, and that's kind of a tough word in some ways. So what is reconciliation? Bob, if I understand it right, it's taking two enemies and bringing them together and trying to establish peace between the two. So it's kind of a reconciliation between two people or two groups. It's not necessarily a restoration of fellowship because there didn't have to be fellowship in the past. Right. But it's kind of an initiation of fellowship or something. Yeah. The possibility of having a relationship that you couldn't have beforehand, Christ has made possible through his death. But what's awkward about this, and this is why I always have a little trouble, isn't it 2 Corinthians 5 where he talks about the fact that everyone's been reconciled, but then at the end of the passage, he's urging people to be reconciled. Let me read it. All right. 2 Corinthians 5.18. Now, all things are of God who has has reconciled us, so past tense, has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, here's the ministry, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore or beg you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Okay, there's the way I heard this when I was at uh, Dallas Seminary, Dr. Ryrie went to this passage and he said, reconciled people need reconciliation. And so he took the reconciliation spoken of in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He took this as kind of unlimited atonement. And then be reconciled to God was something we need in order to have this relationship with God. And he said that occurred at the new birth. However, I'm wondering, when you look at this, who is the us? Mm Mm-hmm. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself. And who are the people he's given the ministry of reconciliation? He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. He does say that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So the only part of that that speak of the world being reconciled is in verse 19, That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Sounds like it's in progress, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds to me like he is making reconciliation possible. Right. Not that he is actually doing it. And by the way, in verse 20, 
Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. There is no you in the Greek. It's just we beg on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, Paul wasn't begging the Corinthians to be reconciled to God. They were part of the us who was already Mm -hmm. reconciled. So I tend to think that instead of saying reconciled people need reconciliation, I tend to think that what this is saying is that when Christ died on the cross, he made reconciliation possible. Yeah, I think that sounds good. The reconciliation is there, but there's something on our part to finish the deal, if you will, it seems to me, for us to be reconciled in the experience of the relationship. Well, clearly, at the very least, verse 20 is saying we implore on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. The unbeliever has to believe to be reconciled. And, and there's no question if we let's back off from it and get the 40,000 foot view. The world is not reconciled to God in the sense of being saved. Right. Even though it says we know that we've been reconciled as believers. Right. I think Dr. Ryrie was taking the view that this reconciliation is a potential reconciliation based on unlimited atonement, I think. I think that's how. But we never pressed it with him. I think that's how it was, too. And he used Chafer's words, and if I recall those correctly, it was that man is now savable. Right. And I think that's an important concept. Yeah, Chafer used to say because of the cross, people no longer have a sin problem, they have a son problem. Exactly. And he said, although we do have a sin problem in the sense that we reap the consequences of our sins, our sins are not what keep us from being born again. It's our unbelief in the Son of God that keeps us from being born again. And so we need to believe to be born again. And I think Chafer was right on that. And I do think that this reconciliation would be a, uh, maybe we call it an initiation of a harmonious or a potentially harmonious relationship. That sounds good. Yeah. It's not necessarily guaranteed that the person who's reconciled will remain in a harmonious relationship with God. We begin that way, Acts 10.43, whoever believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. But whether we have ongoing forgiveness depends on our First John 1, 9, confessing our sins. And this reconciling work that Christ has wrought on the world's behalf is available to them. It still requires us to believe. It still requires ambassadors to be sent out to get people and persuade people to believe. It's coming. It'll be here before you know it. What am I talking about? The Grace Evangelical Society's National Conference 2024. It will take place May the 20th through the 23rd at Camp Copus, an absolutely beautiful campground in North Texas, right on the lake with lots of recreation, great food, a great place to stay, wonderful fellowship, and wonderful free grace Bible teaching. It is time to start planning and getting registered for the National Conference 2024, May the 20th through the 23rd. Hope to see you there. And this reconciling work that Christ has wrought on the world's behalf is available to them. It still requires us to believe. It still requires ambassadors to be sent out to get people and persuade people to believe. Okay, now that's another thing. What does he mean we are ambassadors for Christ? What's up with that? Well, the word ambassador essentially means an envoy, representative agent, just like our word ambassador would be a representative, if you will. That's what Paul's doing. And I love the picture that he paints here. There are a few different words used in 2 Corinthians 5 where he's begging, imploring, pleading with people. 
In fact, he says, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you, beg you on Christ's behalf. Do you think of God as pleading with people? We should. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't generally think that way. I think of him as wooing or drawing or calling. But the idea of pleading makes a lot of sense. It seems to me this ambassador idea, we wouldn't have a problem with the Apostle Paul being an ambassador for Christ or the Apostle Peter or any of the apostles. Wouldn't a lot of people have a problem with the carnal believers in Corinth? These baby Christians are ambassadors for Christ, but they are, right? Yeah. It's not like we choose to be ambassadors for Christ. That's who we are. Right. We're good or we're bad at our job, but that's who we are. And, you know, even though in some religions they give sainthood, if you will, to the apostles, they were people with flesh and blood. They had feet of clay, even as apostles. Right. Though certainly on the morality spectrum, the Apostle Paul might be way over here, almost next to Christ. The Corinthians way over here, getting closer to the devil, but they're ambassadors for Christ. Isn't that pure grace? Yes, it is. It seems to me we all should be good ambassadors for Christ. In other words, if we don't tell people, they're not going to know by looking at our lives that you're born again by faith in Christ. But if we're living a horrible life, they're not as likely to listen to what we have to say. Propitiation is a parallel doctrine, as are all these doctrines of salvation to some degree. But the payment's been made for the world. How about redemption? You talk about the payment's been made. What is redemption? That's agorazo and ex-agorazo. Sometimes lutrao. Lutrao, yeah. Isn't lutrao more in the in the realm of ransom? And loosing also. Oh, and loosing. Right, right. Okay. especially a word for buying a slave and releasing him. Lutron is the word for okay. ransom in like Mark 1045. Okay. But yeah, redemption, it is a cousin word or sister word to redemption. Agorazo is what one did at the Agora, the marketplace, and ex-Agorazo means to buy out from the market. There were a lot of slaves in the first century. Many people say in the Roman Empire up to half of the people were slaves because they were people who were conquered in war, and then they were sold into slavery. And so people could buy them out of slavery and give them their freedom. And not just from war, but there's indentured slavery. Where a person says, okay, I'm going to serve you for seven years as your slave. During those seven years, you will provide for me, maybe pay off my debts or whatever. I can't help but believe Peter has that in mind when he says, knowing that we were redeemed, not with perishable things like silver and gold from our feudal way of life inherited from our forefathers, but with the precious blood of an unblemished lamb. So the blood of Christ is the redemption price for humanity. Right. The price is always mentioned. I believe I can say always mentioned in connection with redemption, but also the result that we should live lives to glorify the Lord. Remember in 1 Corinthians 6, where it says we've been bought with a price. Yeah, therefore therefore glorify God with your body. One of the things we need to think about in terms of redemption, redemption isn't so much... He, by his blood, has redeemed us from the penalty of sin because he hasn't redeemed us. The penalty of sin is death, and we still experience that. What he has redeemed us from, I think, is slavery to sin. Sure. So that, as redeemed people, we are no longer slaves of sin. We are now slaves of righteousness. That's what Paul says in Romans 6. Right. Uh, Jesus even said that in uh, John eight thirty two. 
Yes. Where he said, you know, if you abide in my truth, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Right. Well, he went on to talk about freedom from sin's bondage, and I think the point is when we come to faith in Christ, we're redeemed from being people who have to serve sin. Now we can serve God. It's not automatic. Right. That's why Paul says in Romans 6 to yield our members to God. Yeah, it's not automatic. And that's why he says, you've been bought with a price. It's the word redeemed. Therefore, glorify God with your bodies. We should. Yeah. It's not a given, as you said. And then, of course, there's the redemption of our body one day in the future. But what is the well, future redemption of our body? Well, when Christ comes back again, we'll be redeemed. We'll have our glorified bodies. And that when I say we're, we're already redeemed, but our bodies will be redeemed as well. Right. Romans 8 talks about groaning as we await the redemption of our bodies. That's a future experience. Right. And that's called future sanctification or glorification. Yeah. Well, thanks, Steve. This is great stuff. And thanks to all of you for listening. And remember, keep keep grace and focus. Amen. Be our guest and subscribe to our 48-page magazine, six issues per year, also called Grace in Focus, by emailing your name and snail mail address to ges at faithalone.org. That's faithalone.org. On this program, we keep our requests for financial partners to a minimum. But if you are interested in becoming a financial partner with Grace in Focus, you can find out how to do that at faithalone.org. On our next episode, we talk about righteousness and sanctification. We hope you'll join us, and until then, let's keep Grace in Focus. The preceding has been a listener-supported ministry from the Grace Evangelical Society.